I've noticed over the years that there are, are different types of people who pack for vacations. There are the minimal well, there are the minimalists who bring like one pair of underwear and they wash it in the sink of the hotel room throughout the week. There are the like be prepared Boy Scouts who bring everything with them they could possibly need. It's like they're going on vacation this week. They take the snow shovel because it might snow on Tuesday, right? And then you have the people who just throw everything into a bag like 10 minutes before the trip. So I'm curious. I want to do a poll. Who here is what? So who here is a minimalist? Who here just brings like the bare minimum of, of what they need? Wow, very few people. Okay, all right. Y'all are kind of shy. The minimalists are shy. It's okay. All right, who here is be prepared, bring everything you might need because you don't want to hear people complaining when they don't have it, right? You don't have to go to the store when you're at the beach. You don't have to do all that. You bring the beach umbrella, the shovel, and the little sand anchor that anchors it all in, and you bring the tie-downs, right? Okay, who here just throws everything into a bag like 10 minutes beforehand and stresses out their family? Okay, so that is Emily. Emily is like the 10 minutes before. I am not a minimalist. I am I am not a last-minute person. I am the be-prepared kind of person. Actually, I have, it's like a three-page document checklist that I've been refining over the years. And every trip I go on, I, I go through each item. Do I need this? Do I need this? Do I need this? And at the end, if I pack something that's not on the list, I add it to the list so that next time I have a more extensive list. I love checking things off and going through it. So on any given trip, you know, I got I got my bag here, and I always bring. You got to have like your, I don't know what you call these, casual shoes and some running shoes or some walking shoes. You know, if you're doing a lot of walking, so you got to have that kind of stuff. Rain jacket because you never know. I mean, you always got to check the weather, but I usually bring a rain jacket. Books. Anybody bring books on vacation? I'm somebody. I always bring books. I never read them though. I never read them, but it makes me feel good. It makes me feel productive having them in my bag. So I bring books, and then I always bring a hat, because you just never know. And now look, nobody in here has probably ever seen me in a hat, have they? No, I don't usually wear hats, but on vacation I think, you know what, I might wear a hat on vacation. I don't know. So I'll bring that. I always bring workout clothes, because I might have the urge to work out, even though I don't have the urge much. Um, I always bring my camera, and then I'm like, okay, I need to bring my tripod, because that, you know, you got to have some good, good stability for photos. And then this one, now this is... The extreme packers know about this. The headlamp, bring a headlamp because at the hotel it might not be good lighting on the bed if you're trying to read or just different things. You always got to bring a headlamp. You got gloves. And now this one is next level, I know. Splenda. Because some hotels and restaurants don't have Splenda and that's what I like for my coffee. So I bring Splenda in there and then this one is the one I get made fun of the most for. But this is the most amazing thing. It's not a scarf. It's actually a travel pillow. You wrap it around your neck, and then you can go like that on the airplane or wherever. So I'm always packing all of this stuff because I want to make sure I have everything. So I go down my list, and I'm checking it off, and I say, do I need this, yes or no? And I have to have this kind of internal debate. And I usually say yes because I just would really rather have it than not have it. And over time, as you can imagine, after saying yes to all of this stuff, the bag gets kind of bulky. The bag gets kind of heavy, and when you start lugging it around, loading it in cars and out of cars, then you think, well, maybe I shouldn't have brought as much stuff with me. And then if you're on the airlines these days, you know they're a lot more strict about the weight. And so if your bag is overweight, it actually literally costs you money, which is why I have this. Now, this is a next-level thing, too. Y'all know what this is? This is a portable scale. 
So you can weigh your bag if you're on a trip and make sure that it's not over before you get to the airport so you don't have to hold everybody up in line and make it all complicated. And it's nice, too, because if you need to rearrange things, put stuff in your spouse's bag or kid's bag or throw it away, you can try to have room. But then my problem is I never have room for souvenirs when I'm on the trip. So then you go through the airport and you're wearing like two jackets and gloves. And, you know, you got everything on you. And it's just kind of a hassle. And when you're doing all of that and you're having to repack at the end of the trip, it kind of sucks the joy out of the trip when your bag is crammed full and it's kind of stressful to do all of that. And since I only travel a couple times a year, it's not really like a big deal because I don't usually pack that extensively too often. But where this becomes a problem is when the patterns that I've picked up here actually begin to affect other areas of my life. And when the patterns of things like this begin to affect other areas of our lives, when our lives are kind of crammed like this suitcase, when we keep saying yes to everything, it actually weighs us down. It actually costs us and it leads to stress. And other things, I don't know about you, but I have a problem saying yes. It's easy for me to say yes to person after person and to engagement after engagement. And after a while, it just kind of sucks the energy out of you. It sucks the life out of you. And you become crammed and packed and kind of busting at the seams. And you probably know how this goes, right? Somebody, somebody says, hey, Let's get together for coffee. And it's like a friend from middle school. And you're like, why do we need to get together for coffee? And you think, you know, they're probably trying to sell me something. And you go anyway because you think, well, I feel bad saying no to people. Or, you know, someone asks you to volunteer, maybe at church. They ask you to join a volunteer team. And you say yes because you hate letting people down. Or your mom, she says, hey, can you come home for Christmas? Thanksgiving. Memorial Day. Labor Day, 4th of July, Thursday, Sunday after church, right? She keeps asking you to come home, and you can't say no, even though you have your own family, because you know how much it would crush her if you didn't go with her. Maybe for some of you, it, it's, it's your boss. You just never say no to your boss, because you know if you say no, bad things might happen. Or your kids, they come to you and they say, hey, mom, I want to join karate or gymnastics, and before even checking the schedule and everything else you have going on, you say yes because all the other kids are doing it and you want your kid to be well-rounded. You don't want them to miss out. Or a friend invites you out and you say yes, even though you know dinner and a movie now is like $75 no matter where you go. And you know you don't have that money, but you have FOMO. You have fear of missing out. And so you say yes. I don't know about you, but this is a major problem for a lot of us. Saying yes to everyone and everything that comes our way. And here's the thing. The stuff in this bag, it's good stuff. Volunteering at church is good stuff. Catching up with friends, those are good things. Spending time with your family, those are good. But over time, as our lives become more and more crowded, we become more anxious. We become irritable. And we begin to resent people and places and the appointments that we have. And every once in a while, in the midst of our crazy, busy lives, we, we're in traffic or we're at a soccer practice and we have just a moment to think and we think, how did my life get this way? How did my life get this way? There, there has to be a different way because the things I say I care about the most actually get my leftover time, my leftover energy, 
and my leftover money. I mean, this, for a lot of us, is our lives. Kind of heavy, kind of bulky, but we actually wish our lives were a little more like this, right? A little lighter, a little easier, a little less crammed and packed. But that requires us to quit saying yes to everything. Because for me, I always say, you know what, this is, this is just a season. It's just a season, and then that season turns into another season, turns into another season, and then actually it's not a season, it's a lifestyle. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how to quit saying yes to everything and everyone that comes our way and how to actually start saying no so that we can have a little more breathing room. And, and to look at how to begin saying no and how to, how to quit saying yes, we're actually going to look to Jesus. And now you might be thinking, well, Jesus, I mean, his world 2,000 years ago, the culture and everything else, it's very different than our world today, and that's true. Our world today has a lot more complexity, a lot more possibilities with technology, and researchers show that we now, on average, make about 25 thousand decisions a day. We make about 25,000 decisions a day, but I love, I love what the author Kevin DeYoung in this, this little book here called Crazy Busy. If you want a book to take on vacation, this is a good one. Crazy Busy. I love what he says. He says, look, if Jesus were alive today, you know that he'd get more phone calls than anybody else. You know that he'd have people knocking on his door and wanting him to speak at conferences and wanting to be on their podcasts and getting interviewed. You know people would be running down Jesus, trying to fill his schedule all of the time. But a lot of us, we think, you know, Jesus in his day, that he just kind of floated around free from all this stuff and free from all the obligations of the world. We think, you know, angels just came and like gave him food while he was just chilling all day. But when we look at the Gospels and we look at Jesus' life, we actually see a very different picture. We actually see that Jesus was quite busy. But he was never busy in a, in a sinful way, in a hurried way, in an anxious or an irritable way. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a, a passage from Jesus' life in Mark chapter 1. And when we look at his ministry in Mark, even from these very early pages in the gospel, recording the details of his life, I mean, we find Jesus was constantly on the move. And one of Mark's favorite words to use is immediately. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus did that. And, and Mark's gospel kind of starts off with a bang. They don't spend a lot of time on Jesus' childhood. Instead, Mark tells us that Jesus was baptized he was tempted in the wilderness, and then he began calling disciples. He began calling disciples to follow him. He began preaching and teaching in the synagogue. And, and then when he was in Capernaum, he healed Simon's mother-in-law, and he started doing some miracles and teaching. And as you can imagine, if Jesus were alive today, when that stuff starts happening, people start talking, and they start inviting their friends. And they start saying, hey, you need to come see this guy. Hey, you need to come check it out. And every sick person in like 100 miles is like, hey, we got to get to this guy. And so Mark tells us that the whole town was gathered at Jesus' door. And Jesus healed many of them. He cast demons out of many people who were in need. And the crowds began to build and to build 
and to build. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read this. That very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this is something we see over and over again in Jesus' life. He, he gets away in solitude, and he spends time with his heavenly Father in prayer. And, and if you notice, I mean, it says that he, he went in a solitary place when? Very early in the morning while it was still dark. And why do you think he did that? He did that because people weren't clamoring for him at that time. He was trying to get away from the crowds, have a little peace, have a little solitude. And while he's there spending time in prayer away from the crowds, we read this in verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And, and so you can hear it in their voice, right? They're, they're saying, Jesus, the crowds are building. You're over here out in the, in the wilderness. You're over here praying away by yourself, but at the house back home, it's getting kind of stressful because there are lepers who want to be healed. There are people with demons. There are people with illnesses. They're all asking where you are and asking us, your disciples. And so we've come here because we need you to go back and to help them. We need you to go back and meet their needs. And Jesus' response to this request is one that always kind of shocks me and always kind of wakes me up a little bit when I read it. And here's what Jesus says in verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And that line of people who were waiting to be healed at that house, all of those people who were clamoring for him, Jesus basically says no to them. He says no, and they begin to head to another city. And in, in Crazy Busy, the author says this. He said, look, Jesus wasn't just saying no to like playing in a community soccer league. Jesus says no to people who had diseases, people he could have healed instantly. And you can tell the disciples, they don't understand what's going on at this point. Because they're like, really, Jesus? They're like, you and me, they're, really, Jesus? We're just going to keep moving even though you have the power to heal all of these people. We're just going to keep going to the next village instead of staying here. Really, Jesus? You have the power to do that. People are going to be upset at us. People are going to be angry at us. Your, your name is going to start to get tarnished in the community because you won't help these people. But off Jesus goes to the next village to go and to preach there. See, Jesus said no to good things so that he could say yes to greater things. And not everybody around him could see the greater things that were on the horizon for them. Not everybody around him could see the great mission that God had given to him. But Jesus, he wasn't worried about pleasing people. He wasn't worried about the crowds. He wasn't trying to settle down in these villages and just meet all of their needs. He said no. I know my mission, and so I'm going to say no to some good things so I can say yes to the great things that God has planned for me. And if you notice here, Jesus is very clear about his mission in life. And in these verses, we actually see it when he says this. When he says, let us go elsewhere, I need to preach in other areas. 
he was clear that a core part of his mission was announcing the good news, proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, that it had come near. And so he says over and over again, he proclaims the good news and he invites people to repent and to believe, to reorient their lives around him, to turn from their old way of life and to begin following him. That was a key part of his mission, announcing the good news and inviting people to respond to it. Another aspect we see here is that he was demonstrating the good news. He was going and demonstrating the good news of the kingdom, that in God's kingdom, there was no more sickness, there was no more ailment. In God's kingdom, there, there's no evil. He was giving them a foretaste of what was to come one day when God's kingdom is fully realized. So he was proclaiming the kingdom, he was demonstrating the kingdom, and he was doing all of this while he was on his way to the cross. And that was the thing that, that people didn't quite understand. They didn't understand that that was ultimately where Jesus was headed, but Jesus knew that was his ultimate destination because he knew that on the cross was the place where he, he wouldn't just help a few people here and a few people there. It was through the cross and through his resurrection that God and all sinners, Jews, Gentiles, saints, people who were living the worst lives, all people would have the chance to be reconciled to God. Jesus knew that through his death and through his resurrection that everybody in this world could experience new life. And so in the midst of his everyday life, going through all of the activities, Jesus said no to many good things. So ultimately, he could say yes to you and me so that we could experience God's love God's forgiveness, we could experience the fullness of salvation. And the good news this morning is that, that whether your life, you know what, if it feels like this, it just feels maybe empty. If your life is like this, it's just kind of crammed, it's overflowing at the edges. If you feel like your life is, is broken, is dirty, no matter what you feel like your life is like, no matter what it's actually like, the good news is that Jesus came into this world he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose again for you so that you could experience salvation. And in the Gospels, he, he tells how we receive that gift. Over and over again, he says, repent. It's a word that simply means turn. Turn from that old way of life towards a new way of life. Believe in me and follow me and you can experience salvation. And now look, salvation is not less than the forgiveness of God, which is a great gift, but it's more than forgiveness from God. Because salvation is about the total transformation that God wants to do inside of each of us. Salvation, it is, an aspect of it is going to heaven and spending eternity with God and, and saying yes to Him and Him saying yes to you. But it's also more than that. It's also the Spirit of God coming down into our lives and transforming us here and now. It's heaven coming to earth in us. And when we have clarity about our mission like Jesus did, when we begin to construct boundaries in our lives and say no to people like Jesus did, the Holy Spirit uses those two things to transform us and also to transform the world around us. But it requires us, like Jesus, to stop saying yes 
to everything and everyone and to start saying no to some good things so that we can live for the great things that God has planned for us. And I don't know about you, saying no is not the easiest for me. It's not the easiest for me, but it becomes easier when I have clarified my mission and my priorities in life. So I want you to think about that. And if you take notes, I'd love for you to just jot down, right? Clarify your mission and your priorities. I want you to think about that. What is your mission? What are your priorities in life? Because for a lot of us, our de facto mission is wake up, take care of the things that come up that day, pay our bills, react to everything, wake up and do it again. That's our de facto mission every day as Americans, but God has more for us. So I want you to think about what is my mission? What are my priorities in life? Really, this is just a question, what is most important to me? And and we can make it complex and we can have have a cool, crafty personal mission statement, but I just want to keep it simple for you. What are those things that are most important for you? I hope at the top of your list is, is your relationship with God. Growing that relationship with God personally. Maybe it's, it's loving and leading your family if you have one. Maybe it's making a difference in the world through your work or, or through how you treat other people or how you spend your time. Maybe right now a priority for you is to, is to pay off debt so that you live free from that burden. I don't know what your exact priorities and your mission are, Because God uses each of us in our own uniqueness. But I want you today to begin jotting down what you think those things might be. And I'd love for you to talk about it on the way home. Talk about it over lunch. Spend some time in prayer this week asking God, God, what are those things that you want to be most important in my life? God, what's the unique mission you have for me? Because we all have a general mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ to be a part of God's transforming work in the world. But what that looks like for each of us can be very different. So I want you to begin thinking about those things. What is my mission? What are my priorities? Because when you know those things, they can act as as a filter. And you can ask yourself, when when I'm spending my money, when I'm spending my time, my energy, is this helping move the mission forward? Or is this just something else? And if you've ever done this before, if you've ever made a list of priorities, which many of you probably have, you know that it's not enough to just make a list. It's not enough to just write something down in your bulletin and leave it in the back seat of your car or put it in the recycling bin on your way out, right? It's not enough. You have to make it your mission to stay on mission. You have to make keeping your priorities a priority, and one of the ways you do that is by constructing boundaries. And now a boundary is simply uh, words we say, actions we take, beliefs we have that help move us in the direction that we want to go in. And, And it's healthy to have some boundaries in your life. It's not healthy to have no boundaries and just do whatever other people want you to do all the time and just respond to everything going on in the world. So boundaries are healthy. And one of the simplest boundaries you can create and you can begin to put into action is simply to begin telling other people no. And no, it's a little more unnatural than yes, right? Yes is like, oh, yes, it's so, it's so easy. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's like a little more harsh. It sounds 
a little more difficult. So I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to practice saying no. Turn to your neighbor and tell them no. But I want you to do it in a nice way, okay? Now, this is really easy for some of y'all. Some of y'all are used to saying no. Parents, no. Can't have 25 cents for the gumball machine. Some of you, it's a little more difficult. It's a little more difficult to say no, to construct that boundary, but it is so important if you're really going to live out that mission that God has for you, if you're really going to create those priorities and keep them priorities. And one thing that can help you say no a little bit easier is to think about every time you say yes, what is it costing you? What, what is the trade-off? Because here's the thing, when you say yes to working late at work every night, for you that might actually mean saying no to tucking your kids in at night and to praying with them. Saying yes to another two-hour show binge watch on Netflix might mean saying no to prayer time with God. Saying yes to another outfit, to another purchase that is so easy might mean saying no to paying off your debt or, or to tithing. Yeses and nos are connected. And every time we say yes to something, there, there is a cost with our time, with our energy, and with our money because those things are limited. And so focusing on the trade-off is one helpful way you can begin to think about how to say no to other people. And now a, another thing that's helpful is to simply make peace with the reality that you might not be as popular when you start telling people no. Because this is the truth. When you tell everybody yes, right, people generally like you. It's so like, oh, yeah, she always says yes. Let's ask her. He, it's not just women, sorry. That wasn't a gendered illustration. It's everybody. But when you start saying no, it might cost you some popularity. You might have to trade popularity for your priorities. And I know it's tough to let people down. It's tough for people to be disappointed in you. To, to question you. It's tough when you say no to family members and, and there's a little fissure in your relationship. But Greg McCowan, he has a, he has a great book called Essentialism uh, on cutting out unnecessary things from our lives and focusing on the essentials. And he says, yes, no might cost you popularity in the short term. But a lot of times when you begin saying no, it leads to respect in the long term. Because when people begin seeing that you actually value your time, you, you value the mission that God has given you, you value your resources, over time they begin to respect you and say, oh wow, they actually care about these things and they're constructing boundaries around them. And then finally, I'll just say this, that when you say no, you don't have to be a jerk about it, right? We all know those people who are just jerks when they say no. But you don't have to be a jerk. You can, you can be graceful. You can be compassionate. And one of the easiest ways is to simply explain why. To give the why behind why you're saying no. To simply say, actually, you know what? I can't commit to that because my life is just really crowded and crammed right now. And I, I don't have the capacity to take on anything new. Or 
You can have a, a budget. A budget is simply a plan. It's saying yes to how you're going to spend your money. Or on your calendar, you can put in your calendar time with family and other things. That way when somebody comes to you with a request, you can say, actually, I'm not available that night. They don't have to know it's, w- it's with your family. You can say, hey, I'm not available that night. Or actually already have a, a plan for my money this month. I don't have any more to give to you. Um, but creating those boundaries, telling people why can be a helpful thing. And then also... When you begin letting other people say no to you and you begin respecting them when they say no, respecting that boundary that they're creating, it actually, in the long term, you're modeling how you want people to treat you as well when you say no to them. And so uh, this morning, I I have these two questions for you. One, what is your mission and your priorities? And two, who or what do you need to say no to today or this week? What is your mission and your priorities? And who or what do you need to say no to this week? And you can tell them, hey, pastor, pastor told me to tell you no. You can, you can put it on me if you need to. Because here's the thing. The right no at the right time even though it's a small word, it can have a huge, huge impact. Not only on your life, but in the world. I mean, we can look to someone from history and see this. We can look at Rosa Parks and her life and see how her no began to change the world. Some of you, most of you in here are are familiar with her story, Rosa Parks. Grew up in the segregated South, Montgomery, Alabama. And during that time, the custom was is that African Americans sat in one spot on the bus, and if white passengers got on, they, they had to move to less desirable seats. And so one day she was on the bus, everything was good, but then some white people got on, and the bus driver said, Hey, I, I need you to get up and I need you to move seats for them. And you know, she said, No. She said, No, I'm. Not today. She said no. The the three other African Americans who were with her, they said yes, they moved. But she said no. And sometimes we think, you know what, maybe she just like had a combative personality or she was just really assertive. But actually, I came across this this week and I love this, that she wasn't that assertive of a person. Actually, she became secretary in the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP because as she explains, I was the only woman there and they needed a secretary and I was too timid to say no. She was like many of us. It wasn't always easy for her. But that day on the bus, she had the courage to say no because she was motivated by a great mission. And that small word that act of courage began to change our entire nation. And so who or what do you need to begin saying no to this week? It might seem small, but you'll never know the impact it might have in the long run. So let's pray and ask God to give us courage as well.
God, a lot of our lives here are packed. They're overflowing. They're, they're crazy busy. God, a lot of us here on Sunday mornings where we're able to relax, but then when we, when we leave here, we start thinking about work on Monday. We start, we start worrying about all of this stuff going on in our lives. But God, we pray that you would help that to begin to change today. And we pray that it would change as your Holy Spirit comes to us and speaks to us about our unique mission and our priorities in this world. So God, we ask this week that you would help give us clarity on those things. And God, we ask us that you would give us courage to begin constructing boundaries. That your Holy Spirit would enliven us and that we would feel bold enough and caring enough to say no to good things so that we can ultimately say yes to the greater things that you have planned for us. So God, we want want to have joy. We want to have peace. We want to have margin in our relationships. God, we want to have space to spend with you. So help us today to quit saying yes to everything and to start saying yes to the best things that you have for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.